I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse, a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that can make us all be encouraged, want to hear what makes these women passionate and get up in the morning or what they wish that they'd known earlier in life. Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. Today, I have with me Minnie Lamberth. So excited to get to talk to her. She has just got stories upon stories and people and relationships that just could go on forever. And I cannot wait to dive in. So welcome, Minnie. Thank you, Amy. I'm glad to be here. Oh, delighted. So let's get started. Minnie, if somebody asked you who you were professionally or personally, what would be your answer? Well, um, I did listen to a few of your episodes, so I do know that you do tend to ask that question. So I'm glad that I listened so that I would uh, be ready. And it's not really that earth shattering who I am, um, but I thought of a couple of qualities. I am by nature an observer and a listener. These are, the, uh, these are my essential qualities, uh, regardless of what I do or where I am. And the way that I apply these two qualities is in my work as a writer. Um, and that, and my, I, you, you might not see my observation skills or my listening skills until you see how I apply it. But, uh, that the, uh, identity as the writer is the one that transcends all my other identities because it's a part of my personal identity and my professional identity. I don't think there's ever a time I can envision to extent, to the extent that I am in control of my future that I would not be a writer. I don't th- I'm not going to retire from that identity. It's just something that I am and that I will continue to be. And so that's who I am as a writer. Wow. Have you always written then? Have you, did you find yourself writing as a child? Did you start out journaling? What, what started out the writing path? Um, there is uh there's several layers to becoming or evolving into a writer. I do remember um, the first thing that I had was a desire to be a writer, and that was long before I had any skill sets. I remember um, that was when I was in third grade, I wrote one of those simple rhymes, you know, like summer is here. It came just as fast as a deer. And I showed it to my teacher and she had me read it to the class. So that may have been my first uh, type of uh, public writing, but I certainly wasn't any good at it. It certainly wasn't a good poem um, beyond uh, a third grade level. And I do remember in seventh grade that I wrote, uh, uh, I think I was in world history class. And instead of doing world history, I wrote a one page short story and um So the other thing about that is that if you saw that poem or you saw that short story, they would not be impressive. I I wasn't bringing any uh, skills 
to uh, those things. I was bringing a desire. I was bringing a desire to um, put things down on paper and um, share them with other people. And so before I had skill sets, I had desire. And then that desire led me into uh, experiences that I could develop as a writer. Um, I was in uh, in high school, I took a speech one class, and that was my first effort of um, speaking in public where uh, I could tell stories and that people responded to them. And so that fed me a little bit in that path. And then uh, my senior year in high school, we had a, a radio program that uh, uh, students during the week, this was for seniors, students during the week would uh, write scripts that we would record uh, later in that week, and then they would be broadcast to the local community. And it, again, it was not a particularly good radio program. Our scripts were not particularly good, but that was my first experience writing things that other people would read or that I would read. And that led into um, my college days where um, I was uh, working for the college newspaper. I attended Huntington College in Montgomery. And um, wrote for the college newspaper and um, wrote some quirky things. Uh, I wrote commentaries and they were um, full of puns and odd oddities. And uh, so that was, this was kind of laying the groundwork for me to become an advertising copywriter. That's how I got, that was my first professional job was as an advertising copywriter because I wanted to write clever things. I wanted to, um, use creativity that way. And so um, copywriting, and then I moved into public relations and public information in a state agency. Uh, and then for a time, I, I, I had this burning desire to go out on my own, but I didn't want to make that step just like from a full-time job to full-time self-employment. So I worked part-time at Huntington College, my alma mater, for a few years in public relations. Um, but as I think anybody who's had a part-time job in a professional setting knows, um, that's actually a full-time job with part-time pay. <laughs> so I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice and um, I chose uh, to become a full-time writer in the marketing, public relations, advertising fields. Um, and that was 20 years ago. And, uh, and over that time, those years of working in jobs, I also developed a network of people. I work in a community of people who need things for their websites, for their member magazines, for their newsletters, uh, for the, the press releases and so forth. I write for people who need things written. And those are, those are my colleagues. Those, that's my network. And that's, that's the main part of my work networking is incredibly important, but you brought that skill set. So I heard you say a couple words that just kind of keep weaving through and that's, you know, being clever, being creative. Um, do you ever have those moments where you're like, you hit that wall and you're like not feeling it, not feeling the creativity, not feeling you know, what you need to pull out for that project. And if so, yeah. what do you do? Absolutely. Um, it is, I get uh, fatigued. Uh, sometimes my work gets tedious. Um, I just finished uh, preparing 43 press releases over the last few weeks. And so that got really tedious. Um, of, uh, and so what happens is I've learned some creativity uh, techniques in recent years. And one of those is it's the small step. 
if you just absolutely do not feel like getting to your work, um, you can take a small step, which is um, just come to your, your desk and sit down at your desk. Um, open a Word document uh, and type a word. And so that it sort of helps overcome that sense of procrastination and resistance. It's just, just take a small step because it kind of rewires your uh, brain. And that is when you don't feel like getting to your work. But when you get to your work and you don't have anything interesting to say, um, it's okay to write something boring. Uh, I will type the most basic boring sentence in the world and I just, I might start by just summing up what I need to do. I need to sit at this desk and write a press release about a certain topic. And just the fact of sitting down to write that, um, it sort of just moves you into, well, that principle of physics, a body at rest tends to stay at rest and a body in motion tends to stay in motion. So you don't have to worry so much how well you're doing just start doing it and you can uh, chop off the first three paragraphs of whatever you've done. And by the time you get to the fourth paragraph, you might be clever again. Oh, that that's great. That's actually very useful advice for a lot of us that are, are in the industry of creating an image or um, some kind of form to, to get someone to do something else or to inform someone. So, the people that you work with, do they give you all kinds of guidelines or do you have freedom? Um, do you, do you have yeah. to kind of stay on a track? Uh, no, the very nice thing about my work is that people already know what they need from me. Um, and that is, I'm a responder. I, I respond, I reply, I um, fulfill. I don't, in that side of my work, I have some other things that I write on my own, but in the side of the, my work where I work for other people, they tell me what they need from me and I can fulfill it. And that is, um, and that's a way of being helpful because they, they're, um, I bring my, my skill set that I bring into this is being a writer. There are other people that could be a consultant who would say, you know, here's what you need to do. I, that's not what I do. And, um, or have you ever thought about blah, blah, blah. Um, the people that come to me have already thought through everything. They know they're under their pressure from their superior, their client, or um, whatever's going on in their life that they have to, they may produce a monthly magazine. They need a certain article on a certain topic. They don't need, need me to tell them what they should be doing. They've already got their own stresses and pressures. They need help fulfilling what they already know they need to do so that's so I get parameters I get instructions um, we need a um, article on this topic we need a website um, on that covers these uh, factors so I get a lot of direction and um, respond and I also because I'm a good listener I pay attention to the direction I'm receiving I don't go off on my own and that's also helpful is to not to not bring I don't bring so much of myself into that. I don't bring my own agenda into the things I'm doing for other people. I'm helping them fulfill their agendas. Wow. That's hard. That's, that's a learned skill right there of not bringing your own agenda. So do you find that in your personal life too, 
that in your relationships and encounters, you're not bringing your own agenda? No, I always bring my own agenda into my personal life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know any other way. There are things that matter to me that are important to me. And uh, what I do is I interweave those thoughts into my personal writing. I have another side, uh, which is more inspirational writing. And um, the, the, the work that I was talking about, the, the marketing kind of work, that's, what, uh, that's how I support myself. That's how yeah. I um, get to eat. Get yeah. to Pay your house, bills. Yeah. Get to buy clothes and such. But I also have the other side that's the inspirational side, which is um, I spent many, many years working, uh, writing, drafting a novel uh, that became Life with Strings Attached. And that was published in 2005. And after many years of trying to figure that out, how to write a novel, how to get it published, um, I submitted it to um, a contest that Cape Cod, Massachusetts was running. Um seeking a literary novel with Christian themes. And I submitted it to that contest and I won. And that's how it got published. And at the time, that seemed like a great culmination of my career. But it turns out in hindsight, that was just the midpoint because that was like 15 years ago by now. And it took me a really long time to figure out what to do next. Um, And people would say, they would read it and say, what are you going to do next? Or, uh, and so, that particular novel was about a seven-year-old growing up in this. Well, it was an adult writer remembering a time when she was seven years old growing up in a small Southern town and um, experiences in a neighborhood set back in 1972. And so I often was asked, are you going to write a sequel to that? Well, I didn't have an idea for a sequel until last year. When the pandemic shut things down and I, and I took a page from Shakespeare because I'd heard that he did some of his best work during a plague. So I thought, how, how can I use this downtime uh, during this quarantine time when I'm not as busy um, making use of this time and uh, finding a way to um, share some ideas that I had in my head some thoughts, some inspiration that I had that I was carrying around that I didn't really have an outlet for. So I poured that into a novella called Miss Birdie Explains the Beginning of the World. And this is a follow-up to that uh, long-ago novel, except now I didn't go, uh, I didn't take the seven-year-old to when she was eight or 16 or 23. I, I advanced her to age 30, and she is back in her uh, small hometown um, regrouping after some changes in her life. And Miss Birdie at this time is her former first grade Sunday school teacher. And, um, there's some issues in that small town. It's set in 1995. There's something like this new kind of church coming to town where they have a rock band and you can wear whatever you want. And, um, and so it's kind of got the, the committee at the, um, Welton Baptist a little stirred up. And so they're doing a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And this uh, conversation ever so gently gets to is the first grade where we need it to be. And that's where Miss Birdie is. And nobody's quite sure if she can see through the smudges in her bifocals because so it just it just brings up some questions um, that the committee wants to resolve. And since 
my former narrator from my first novel is now 30. She's working at the local paper as a reporter, and she gets wind of this um, interest in Miss Birdie and whether she should still be the Sunday school teacher after all this year, all, all these years. And so she starts to go visit her, and she learns a lot about Miss Birdie and Miss Birdie's life and how she's been an influence in her community um, and how she's had an impact just as a first grade Sunday school teacher who takes her lessons to the Piggly Wiggly or wherever she is. And so it has sort of a Tuesdays with Mari set up and that Miss Hannah, my, my um, main character, is learning from Miss Birdie. And it also has some inspirational thoughts that I had stored up inside me that I needed to format for. And that's where I put them in this novella. So that's the other side of my writing is um, having some ideas that I wanted to share. So as a writer, you can kind of create some of your places to put your thoughts and your creativity. Is that something you just knew that you could do? Or did you, in your training, just dream? Or did you have a mentor? Well, uh, no, I... I don't actually know anybody who does things the way I do it. So I don't have a specific mentor. I wish I did. I wish somebody had gone this way before me and had could just show me the map. But I had to figure it out. And what I figured out was that I had a whole set of ideas, a whole set of teachings within me that I wanted to find some format for. And I tried um, a regular newsletter, a weekly newsletter, sending it out by email. I tried to create um, some online courses and uh, what I found was that I wasn't ha it, it didn't have the same resonance as when I put all those ideas into a story and then people because uh, it turns out that people didn't want to take my courses or um, because it, it's kind of nobody wants to do something that's tedious and a course sounds tedious I didn't know another name for course until it became story but people like to read stories. They like to um, hear uh, things that are inspirational or to read things that are inspirational. So I was able to pour all the things, the teachings that I had learned in my life and in my work, I just put them into the stories. And so I have a follow-up to Miss Birdie that is I'm working on right now. So I may be able to continue to bring that other side of me into these little novellas of, um, this go back to this same town two years after I mean two months after the Miss Birdie story ends and I've I wrote uh, this piece that's in process right now called George Stringfellow joins the revolution and in this case the revolution is a year's time because George is a man who's down on his luck and it's December and he asks himself a question this time next year what will be different and so he enters his year doing a couple of things differently. And he's also been one of the people in that community that's been influenced by Miss Birdie. So um, it ties to that story too. And so maybe I'll be able to keep going back to this little community um, for a few um, novellas and that will be my teaching platform as in story form. That's great. And you've had a book signing or two. And so what's yeah. that like? Well, um, when I had the the first one was really so sweet in 2005 when I brought um, out that novel Life with Strings Attached. I got to go to different book signings 
in uh, central Alabama, my hometown of Ellick City, and um, some bookstores around. Um, and that it was so sweet that uh, some of my former teachers came to my book signing because my first grade teacher, my third grade teacher, uh, my high school teacher, uh, they they came to my book signing. So that was very special. But at this point, um, I had a book signing recently um, in my uh, hometown library of Alexander City. And it was their first post-pandemic event, their first opening up event, and my first personal opening up event. So it was kind of nice that um, I couldn't have book signings uh, when things were quarantined because public libraries weren't open and such. So it was nice to have my first event, even though Miss Birdie as a story came out last year. So it's, it's just, it's fun to get a sense of how I want to talk about the story and um, to be able to read some selections from it and to just see people I know. I don't, at, at, at my level, I don't usually see people I don't know at book signings. It's not like I have a turnout of strangers that come to hear what I've got to say. It's usually people that I know. So that's kind of nice. So it's kind of a social event at the same time of a regathering of people. So many, have you, have you faced something sometime, a a huge disappointment in your life or, you know, you you sound so upbeat and so focused and thoughtful. Um, Is there a time when you have just hit the wall? Well, yeah, sure. Um, uh, being self-employed is um, things go up and down. So I've had ups and downs of um, income and opportunity. And I I happen to be in um, an opportunity phase right now. So things feel good. So I probably um, sound more optimistic than if you'd talked to me a few years ago. Um, it, It wouldn't matter. It just, it's sort of an I've learned to go with the flow a little better that so if things uh, get down and um, like, for example, when things shut down last March or um, April, it was um, that some of my work shifted around. And so that was kind of disturbing, but it was also kind of, well, um, I've made it through times like this before. So I assume this, I think there's a quote of, and I don't know who said this, or maybe it's just a meme. I have a hundred percent. I have a hundred percent record of getting through bad days. Uh, something like that. I don't know how that goes, but um, history shows that I've had um, uh, a record of getting through bad days a hundred percent of the time. Um, so if I've had bad seasons or ups and downs, um, I, I, I learn from them and I, keep looking for where the door is for which way to turn next and keep going. So where does that come from? That attitude, that um, perspective, where does it come from? Well, I do have um, certainly, um, I do have um, an active faith. I do um, draw on uh, Christian faith and scripture and um, friends of mine who are, uh, supporters and encouragers and so it's not like going through life alone it's um i have i'm a part of a community and i've always had people who have um been on my side who've been for me and so 
that's nice. And it's been nice to be a part of a community to know that if uh, something is not going well, you can always say, uh, do we pray about this? And so, so it's been, um, and I also feel like I am uh, pursuing a certain call. I mean, it would have been a lot easier if I'd done things differently, if I hadn't felt any need to be self-employed, if I hadn't felt any need to be um, a writer, if I'd wanted to do something that is more logical and um, uh, you go from this step to this step to this step, um, that that might have made more sense. And certainly in our career terms, if you if you don't want to be rejected, you shouldn't be a writer. Um, because if you're going to um, put something out that's from your own soul or that's related to your own talents, uh, somebody's going to see that differently, um, whether it's your um, personal takes on things or just the quality of your work. Somebody's going to have an opinion on that, and it might not be the opinion that you want them to have or that's very affirming to you. So um, part of being able to uh, be in a creative field is to be able to tolerate uh, that some people might not like what you do. Yeah, that's a tough pull. Um, for me, I so put a lot of me on my shoulders and, and my heart is in what I do. And so it's, it's easy to, to get offended or go, well, you know, I can't do this again. Um, but how do you set your value? How do you, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, um, and working within the market, how do you actually set your value and for your work and for, for also just the personal value? Well, that is, that is hard because, um, that I, I don't have any pricing strategies to recommend to anybody. It's hard and you, you got to figure that out. Um, earn, uh, just seek whatever resources you have to figure out what is logical for your community, what people will feel comfortable paying. Um, and it's kind of hard too, because if, um, some things take a really long time to learn. If you get a new client, you might spend the first five, 10 hours just learning about that client, but you can't really invoice for that you can't really invoice for what you don't know um so you you, you as you estimate you don't want to estimate just based on how much time you're going to spend on it because that might mean that that client would get sticker shock so you have to just weigh between um sticker shock or what seems logical and um and then then um, just and the the nice thing about having done this so long is that I'm pretty fast, so I don't tend to lose money anyway. So I mean, it's not like I'm gonna estimate that I would spend um, five hours writing a website and I end up spending ten. That's not that likely to happen. Um, what is likely to happen is the editing and revision process and the fine tuning and whatever committee is going to um, review the final draft. So I do like to write into my estimates, extended edits <laughs> may cost more. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind correcting anything because I'm never, I never assume that I get it right the first time. And I always want, I do tend to feel affirmed if somebody uh, reads what I've 
sent to them and they come back to me and say, can you make a few changes here or there? Because number one, that means they read it. Number two, that means they want to know if it works for them. And so that is, I think that's, that's a collaboration. If you write for people or work for people and they don't respond or uh, they just, um, and they don't come back to you, then you, you, you aren't, well, you don't get enough information for how well you've been doing uh, in serving them and you don't get enough information for how well you can improve. Yeah. So the collaboration is important, even if it's editing and correction and changes. Yeah. And then by the time you do something else for them, if you get to, then you probably cut out a few steps because you already know yeah. what direction they will head or where their head is. So, um, so it, and in the community and networking, I guess you have a lot of people who, who will give those referrals. So have yeah, you I have a, I've only worked with my whole career. I've only worked with people I know or people who know people I know. Wow. I would love to have worked for strangers. I used to create SEO strategies and try to do things like that. But the way it works is for the course of my career, for good or for bad, I've worked with people I know or people who know people I know. And I think there's kind of a fear of hiring somebody for a service that can we trust you? I've had a writer, be, they, they have this sense in the back of their mind. I don't know if you're going to take advantage of me. I don't know if I'm going to pour a lot of money into what you do and you're going to overcharge me, you know, sort of like a lawyer's fee. They're a little bit afraid to talk to me until they know how much that conversation is going to cost. So, um, so that's how it's easy to work in a community where you're already known. So just by virtue of being known, there's a reassurance that I'm not going to take advantage of somebody. Right. Your character and ethics precede you. <laughs> so, um, well, one of the, the things that I, I was thinking is that some of your work is kind of ghostwriting, I guess, or yeah. you don't exactly get a byline, but how, how does that feel? Uh, that feels fine. Um, uh, I write for other people. I even write correspondence for other people. Um, I like it. I like being helpful. And it it's really about um, when I'm even writing correspondence for somebody, it's about their brand. And uh, every copywriter and every public relations professional deals with that sort of thing of write, drafting things for somebody else. That's the work. Um, because uh, that that's what my skill set is. And, if I didn't want to write for somebody else, I'd have to go find a different kind of line of work. Um, but it, 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 I remember when I was a um, young copywriter in Montgomery and I would hear um, a radio spot that I had written. And it was just such an affirmation to hear a radio spot that I had written. And my name was nowhere near that. Or I would see a billboard um, that I had written. And that was fun. And my name was nowhere near that. And so um, that is the um, it, it's been fine. And also what I've realized is that actually it's the things that I write that have my name on them are usually not as profitable as the things that I write that don't have my name on them. So it's a very practical um, kind of way to earn a living as a writer. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you find sometimes it's easier to think like somebody else or for somebody else than it is personally? 
Well, I don't know if it's easier to think for somebody else than it is to think for myself, but I do learn to think as other people think. I do know what their values are and what they're going to like and what they're not going to like. And um, so I do. Um, it's not like I can develop a different voice for each person I write for, but I do know the themes that are important to them. And so I can write to their themes. Oh, so that's the way of thinking of it is in themes and, mm -hmm. and separately. It's still, it probably, if you lined it all up, it still have some of many. Yeah. In, I have in there. words that um, probably keep, showing up in everything I do. Uh, I use the word considering too much as a transition. Um, and so there, are, there's some uh, probably word choices that show up in every client, every piece of client work I do, but um, maybe it's not noticeable enough. Yeah. Well, nobody's really lining up the two at the, the same time either, probably. So, well, since your character was a seven-year-old and then a 30-year-old, what would you tell many seven-year-old and many 30-year-old? Advice, life, what's coming, what to change or do? Um, well, I don't know. The, the seven-year-old was looking for a way to um, uh, live a life where she could express her faith and her... Um, what uh, just make a difference in the world. And um, so I would say to that seven-year-old, yes, you can make a difference in the world. It may not look like you envisioned when you were seven, but that's okay. It's okay to make, um, to end up somewhere that looks different than you had hoped or dreamed and for it to still be a really um, a purposeful kind of place to be. And to the 30-year-old, I guess I would say the same thing is that um, uh, there's in some of my creativity coaching um, uh, experiences I've had, I've heard this phrase, you're where you need to be. And um, so I think that's true whether uh, I were 30 um, or my current age, I would say um, you're where you need to be because we, we need these things that uh, we have learned so far and we need the things that we're going to learn um, to get us where we're going, wherever that is. And wherever it is, it's, um, there's a good chance it's going to have uh, a reward, even if it doesn't look like the reward you'd hoped for. How did you grow up? I mean, you were in Alex City, which is a small yes, town. Yes, small town. So, um, so how was, what was your growing up like? Like, well, like? I grew up in a small town. Um, I've lived in two towns in my life, Alexandra City, which is about an hour from Montgomery and Montgomery. So that's, that's, that's my life um, geographically. But in Ellick City, which was a small town, it was easy to be known in the community. I, I grew up as the youngest of four children. So I had three older siblings who had already walked through that community and gone through all those classrooms and, uh, and had a lot of um, siblings and such. So I was known in some respects as a younger sister to a lot of people. And I also had um, a father who had a lot of family in town, a lot of Lamberts um, in town. And so I had a lot of aunts and cousins in that area. 
and I had a mother who was a public school teacher. She taught public school for 32 years. And um, so she was the kind of teacher who taught one generation and then ended up teaching that ch the, the children of that generation. And so when certainly when I was in school and in classrooms, a lot of the people that were my teachers were people who knew my mother as a teacher, as a colleague. And so wherever I was in Alex City, there was just a way of being known, um, not necessarily for my own qualities, but just an, a sort of a vague identity. Oh, or I know you, I know your sister, I know your mother, I know your family, um, that kind of thing. So I think that is why I really like being a part of a community is that um, it's just a way of being known. And it's a way of um, having a reputation precede you. Um, oh yeah, I know you. That's why I've, you know, I've lived my life based on contacts, based on being a part of a community. So I would say the one thing that has influenced me from um, growing up as a, in a small town is that the whole world in one way or another is like a small town. You just have to find your niche. You have to find your community wherever you are. Do you think that made you behave differently? Because oh, you yeah. were in a small and everybody knows everybody and repu the reputation precedes. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly never did. I never felt anonymous in the town where I grew up and I don't feel anonymous in Montgomery. Um, so I do. Um, I, hopefully I'm not in getting involved in a lot of things that would cause consternation by the people who know me, but um, I have not ever felt um, particularly anonymous. I never felt that um, I wouldn't run into somebody I knew somewhere. A yeah, lot of no. times it's at Costco or the grocery store or um, restaurants or, it's, you, you know, I'll, I'm going to run into somebody I know or who knows me and I don't know when I'm being watched. So, you know. Yeah, I grew up that way, and then my kids have grown up that way, and um, they will be in another state somewhere, and somebody will know who their father is, and I was like that, and so we, we kind of always had the, you better always behave, because you have no idea who you'll come into contact with, and um, so I don't know if that was a, a good way to keep everybody in line, but worked, so... Um, well, you're fairly independent. I mean, you you go and do and travel, and so that sense of independence, um, you know, you could have, even though you live right where you are, fairly close to where you grew up, do you feel that you're independent? Uh, no, I don't feel that I'm independent because I am dependent on clients. I'm dependent on, uh, I have uh three siblings I have a, um, a lot of nieces and a nephew and um, and so they are important to me so um, uh, I have a lot of uh, friends who are important to me so I don't feel I don't know what independent would be like because I am um, my life is interwoven into a lot of other lives that are important to me so it's not like I can just make a decision on my own. I can actually technically make a decision on, a, on my own if I want to. Um, I, I bought a new um, dishwasher not long ago. I didn't have to ask anybody that like that. I didn't have to debate a lot about it. But 
so I don't have to make decisions about what I go to do um, shopping or um, what food choices I make or anything like that. But the way I live my life is intertwined in how um, and a lot of other people's. So I, I need other people. Um, I appreciate other people. And um, I like being of use to other people. So I have, in fact, in one of my, um, one of the things I really like to be is because I've been self-employed for so long, I've had uh, a freedom of my schedule to an extent. So I've been able to deliver other people's children where they need them to be. I've been sort of like an aunt Uber um, for one of my nieces when her uh, children need to be picked up somewhere. I can go off and do that. And I had, and my best friend who um, was a single mom at the time, her children were growing up. She needed some help uh, sometimes getting uh, children picked up from school and so it was a great pleasure to be able to lend that kind of assistance to be able to be somebody who could be on call to um, be helpful so that's been a benefit of being self-employed and running my own schedule is that I could be helpful when I needed to be or when I wanted to be. I'd like to have somebody in my corner like that um, because uh, I mean it enriches those lives that you're involved with at the same time it enriches yours. What would a passion for many be um, a passion project or just something that you just are always drawn to maybe a little off from writing. Um, well, writing is definitely a passion and the stories that I'm working on. So that aside, I did spend some time um, painting uh, for a few years. I'm not painting right now. Um, I don't really have a space to paint right now and I have a cat and she would be involved in um, any oils I set out, but I did, I have spent any number of years working on um, oil painting, and that was uh, a great passion. I, sen I seem to go through um, phases of other creative work. I've been a um, writer for 30-something years, um, and so I've never diver diverted from that. That is my uh, calling that's always with me. But every now and then, I'll pick up these other things like painting. One season, I delivered... Um, cookies to homebound ministries, uh, um, members of the homebound ministry on their birthdays. Um, I volunteered in the church kitchen for a number of years. I work in preschool, um, the preschool department on Sundays. I volunteered with um, a respite ministry, which uh, uh, provides respite for caregivers of uh, people living with dementia and Alzheimer's. So I've had, I, I do like to um, be of service. That's a passion when I get an opportunity to, to um, uh, be helpful in that way. How do you generate or encourage somebody to have a giving spirit? Like it sounds like you're definitely enjoy for yourself. Um, many years ago, I read um, a verse from Proverbs and I don't know if, the, um, the translation has been adjusted since, but it was that a gift opens the way for the giver and leads him into the presence of the great. And so I just think that uh, whatever I give comes back. Um, there's, there's a reward in every gift. You don't want to be taken advantage of and you don't want to waste your time. But the sense of um, giving it, there's 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 a reward in the giving because of what I learn and what 
and the, uh, again, the relationships I develop and um, the experiences. Um, doors open when you uh, volunteer. I've gotten um, work contacts through volunteering. Um, that wasn't the um, motivation, but it certainly didn't hurt. Um, so I think uh, giving is also a way to be a part of a community. And as I've said, being a part of a community is important. Yeah, I was just looking back and some of the, I think a thread that seems to go through the whole fabric of your life is the community and networking and relationships. And the, the it goes right back to what you said in the beginning of being an observer and a listener. Mm-hmm. And by doing all of those things, you kind of weave new opportunities. So mm-hmm. that that's really a great life pattern. Um, so where do you see yourself headed? Um, same place, nowhere in particular. Um, uh, I, I think I've finally gotten to where I wanted to be. So I'm just glad to be here that, uh, um, the work that I'm doing um, for other people is it's going well, it's busy. Um, I'm having some interesting opportunities and um, so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing there. And, um, and I'm really enjoying writing the stories, um, the novella stories and this Miss Birdie series that's been interesting. And um, so I mentioned that I, just uh, wrapped up the second one or at least the draft of it. And so I'm trying to think of what's the third one. I'm trying to think that through. Yeah. And so I'm going to keep doing this right now. So as far as projects, would you say that that's probably your favorite project to date? Um, I don't know. I really did love writing Life with Strings Attached, the novel that came out in 2005. That was such a special time. And uh, because I spent nine years on it, at least, uh, just getting the idea, figuring out how to write a novel, and then um, trying to find a publisher. So it so it was a very long process. And it was like I had all the time in the world on it. Uh, I'm not as young as I was then, so I don't think of myself as having all the time in the world now. But um, I did, but that was a really good experience. But then I really liked coming back to the Miss Birdie story and and finding a new, a different kind of magic again of telling some stories that people responded to because I've liked that people have responded to Miss Birdie and um, people I know and they've said how much they enjoyed that story and how much they wish they had a Miss Birdie. What about an experience or a project or something that was just your biggest bust that you were just even questioning why you were in the middle of it? Um, I probably have done that, but I'm not really a good um, prophet. So sometimes I have been involved in things and I think, why did I say yes to this? And um, I remember, uh, one time I was serving on a committee and um, it ended up, I was a chairman of a committee and it ended up feeling like it was a committee of one person where the chairman had to do all the work. And um, so I was starting to say, why did I say yes to this? And uh, 
I um, ended up, once it was finally done, getting uh, two great new business contacts from that experience. And then I thought, why, what if I'd said no? So, um, so I'm not really, I guess I had had some difficult experience. I've had some disappointing experiences in work, but you just never know. Even the disappointments can lead somewhere good. Um, so I haven't had a lot of disappointing experiences in work. Um, I've had disappointments with uh, trying to get Life with Strings Attached published. That was, um, I thought it was before I won the contest and got it published, it was at a particular publisher's publishing house for nine months. And I kept, and they were reviewing it and I'd sent the full manuscript. And they were reviewing it. And then they came back nine months later and said, we decided not to publish it. So that was devastating. But that was, that was like 2003. So that was a long time ago. Um, but so I've had some experiences in the writing world that has been like that, where you think something is going to work out and it doesn't, it's hard to recover from that, but I haven't had that same level of disappointment in the work I've done for other people. Yeah. That's a gut punch right there. Your time and your, your heart. So how do you protect your heart? Both personally and professionally. Um, I've been uh, uh, thinking a lot about the phrase, hold things loosely. Um, there's not, I don't control a lot. I can, to the extent I can control what I can control, you know, I'll try to influence what I can. But there uh, are other people making other decisions. Everybody has their own agenda. Um, and everybody has their own pressures and their own stresses. So if, for example, um, working for a company. I was working for a company um, for many years that uh, had uh, been sold and um, new owners and uh, during the pandemic that um, they decided to bring all their work in-house. Well, that was not really something that was a personal affront to me. They they made a decision, a business decision that they needed to make. So it, it's not like, um, so I was disappointed and it impacted me, but it's not like it was a personal decision, even though it felt personal, it just had a personal impact. Um, so it's good to kind of realize that other people have their own stresses that they're trying to get through. And most of us are just trying to figure it out anyway. And so it's what may feel personal is not always intended as personal. That's a good perspective. And, and I think it, you can apply that in a lot of different places. Um, we always like to think everything's about us, or at least I do. And so it's, um, it's good to take that step back. Um, and, and I think it might even be more of a habit that you have to form if it's not your natural bent to, to be able to take that step. You definitely need to have resilience. Resilience is um, the work I do. It requires certain soft skills, resilience, perseverance, um, being, will, being willing to show up again after a disappointment and to keep going. Wow. Well, we have gone kind of all over the place. Is there anything that we haven't really touched on that you want to make sure that we do? Um. I don't know anything specific other than 
I think I've covered everything I know. <laughs> That's pretty good. So if you were to have a superpower and you could use it professionally or personally, how would you, what would you choose? How would you use it? And why would you choose it to begin with? And it's 24 hours. Oh, just 24 hours? Just 24 hours. Oh, well, um, I, well, I'll go back to that idea that I like to be useful. And um, I think many of us would like to be useful, but we don't really know how. We don't really know what would be helpful. So it would be nice to enter into a situation where you don't really know the people and you don't really uh, know the full problem that is um, in development, but just be able to enter a situation and say, I know how to be useful here and to do it. Um, like so that, that would be kind of nice to be able to be useful to a stranger without just being able to, you know, you see these things happening and you, maybe there's an issue developing some in a few feet away from you and you don't know quite what to do. It'd be nice to be able to know what to do. I like that. I yeah, but I, I like that. Four hours though, so, uh, so I guess I'd have to be out a lot that day. Yeah, it'd be a long twenty-four hours <laughs> jumping from group to group. Well, I have enjoyed this so much, Minnie. How do people get in touch with you? Um, the easiest place to start is my website, MinnieLambert.com. M I N N I E L A M B E R T H dot com. And uh, so I have a email address there um, if anybody wants to contact me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams going boom, boom, boom. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, cry a little, and find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it from family to philosophy to work to meal prep toward beautifully surviving life there's a great big world that i want to see and a whole lot of things that